four on four. The floor is broken. Burke crosses over, drives, and Pirtle swats it away. Back comes Van Vliet. The easy layup at the other end lays it in. The season's been going on for a while, and it's, <laughs> it's close to all-star break, and I guess it's time for the youth to come in and like, play some major minutes. I mean, I really don't care. Honestly, I, you know me, I just worry about my team, worry about us, what we got to do to continue to get better. We can't really focus or worry about what everybody else is doing. For the latest news in Raptorland, it's the Jurassic Pod with Josh Lewinberg and Gareth Wheeler. Welcome to the debut episode, numero uno, the grand opening. We're cutting the red tape for the premiere. This is Jurassic Pod, TSN's brand new Raptors podcast. We're excited about this. Gareth Wheeler alongside Raptors reporter extraordinaire Josh Lewenberg. Of course, if you don't know us, why don't you? You should, and you will get to know us over the course of this podcast. At JLU1050, at WheelerTSN, if you don't know me... I'm host of Raptors Game Night on TSN, and I've been color uh, color commentator for Raptors 905 for the last three seasons. So a perfect tie-in for today's podcast with a gentleman we'll be talking about and one that you've seen quite a bit over the last couple years, one Bruno Caboclo. He is gone, but not forgotten. Pour one out for Bruno. I already did, and it was a very quick pour. Let's put it that way. Uh, Josh, first of all, This is your brainchild, and I need to give you credit because I'm not someone that steals others' others' material, but you came up with the name for this podcast, Jurassic Pod. I think it's phenomenal. Don't tell them that. If they don't like it now, they're going to know who to blame. Well, it's better that they blame you than blame me. No, no, in, in, in fairness... We walk through a bunch of different titles. Apparently, every apparently everything's been done. And I know there's a selfish side of things for you because you are J. Lou. So of yeah. course we need the J. Pod here. I see what's going oh, on. Oh, I didn't come on. That's a stretch. You subscribe to J. Date. <laughs> so of course, yes. So, J. Swipe. Yeah. So I, I get what's going on, but it's still passable, buddy. Okay, well, I think it's one of those things, like everything else, that will grow on you with time. Nobody liked the old dino uniforms at first. They were an eyesore. They were cartoonish. And now, everyone loves the pinstripes. Whatever was once fashionable that goes out of fashion, it comes back again. It's cyclical, people. It's cyclical. Over the course of today's debut podcast, we're going to get into everything to do with the NBA trade deadline, the Cleveland Cavaliers turning the NBA upside down, what the Raptors did and didn't do. We're going to project how the Eastern Conference will play out from here on in and spin you around what was a very successful week for the Raptors. And we'll look ahead just a little bit as to what lays ahead for the Raptors heading into All-Star Weekend. Am I forgetting anything, Josh? No, that's good? I think you got it. We we got to send a thank you note to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, not that we would have struggled to find things to talk about today anyways, but man... Uh, they made trade deadline what it was. If not for the Cavs, it would have been a sleepy one yesterday. They literally hit the reset button. Yeah, like they they pushed that button. Last and summer's blew the dis- entire thing last up. summer's disaster never happened. It, it was 
like going back in time. Well, we'll see because they have 29 day games to get this right. If you've been under a rock, if you haven't been paying attention, and we won't break down each individual trade as is, but coming in, Larry Nance Jr. and Jordan Clarkson from the Los Angeles Lakers. Coming in, Rodney Hood from the Utah Jazz, as well as George Hill from the Sacramento Kings. Do you want to go through what's going out, Josh? Because It, it might be quicker <laughs> just to say who's still there. Yes, right. Jose Calderon is still there. He's now the longest tenured keep no I'm kidding Tristan uh, Thompson still has been Kardashian yes. he's still hanging out J.R. Smith LeBron's boy still I'm guessing not wearing a shirt at the training facility Kyle Korver still looks like Ashton Kutcher he's still there right and, and, and that's basically and of course a one-handed Kevin Love remains as well Se- or whatever's left of him Seti don't call me Donnie Osmond right other than that really that entire team completely blown apart. It surprises me how deep the cuts went with this team in terms of slashing away, quote-unquote, mistakes or problem players or attitudes. But still, when it comes down to it, how much better is this team in all actuality after making these deals? Well, we know they're different, but we know that different doesn't always mean better. Sometimes different just means different. I I think they're going to be better. At least they look to be better on paper in the sense that the biggest problem with this team for the last couple months has been they're looking their age. They were old. They were literally the oldest team in the league, but they were playing that way as well. They were slow. Uh, They were were bad on, on defense. Now you get guys that are younger, that are more athletic, that can do more things defensively. And this is something we were talking about yesterday, Wheels, is I also think these guys make more sense next to LeBron James than the Isaiah Thomases or Derrick Roses ever did. Those guys came in with egos, and those guys were high-usage players for the most part. Certainly Isaiah was, and then obviously Dwayne Wade used to be, and still sort of, I mean, he's at his best when he has the ball in his hands. And those are guys that you don't want next to LeBron James who needs to have the ball in his hand. These guys come in, Jordan Clarkson, Rodney Hood, they're scorers, but they don't necessarily need the ball in their hand a ton. George Hill is not a ball-dominant point guard. He's a shot maker and a defender when healthy, and that's the big asterisk there. But as we saw in the Indiana-Toronto series a couple years ago, he defended the hell out of Kyle Lowry. And then you got Larry Nance, who can run the floor and, and catch the lobs from LeBron. So I like it on paper, but the distinction that should be made here is the games don't play out on paper. And that's the point that Masai Ujiri made today, and I thought it was a good one. He actually uh, rewound the tape and pointed out the fact that uh, the Celtics and the Cavs, they made a big move over the summer. And everyone was ready to crown them as the kings of the East. Totally. Everyone was ready to count out the Raptors. And guess what? Things haven't necessarily played out that way. So People still are like that, Josh. Yeah. I, I still feel that no matter what happens, the Raptors could be up in a playoff series 3 nothing against the Cavaliers. And people in this city and Raptors fans across this country would still will still say, but look out for LeBron James. He's going to come back and win this. This but is they should. Our Fascinating. See, I disagree. This is our fascination with LeBron James. And I know that you brought up the whole idea of ego, getting these problems out of the room, players that didn't fit. Well, Kyrie Irving is in a little bit of an ego the last time that I checked. But he's just a phenomenal player. And do you know when egos aren't a problem? Players with swagger that speak their minds? When you're winning. When you're losing, all of these things bubble to the surface. So for me, 
LeBron James should take accountability for what's gone on. The coaching staff all the way down, from the owner all the way down through this organization. Isn't that what this Nobody's was? Nobody's hands are clean. Yes, you're right. But at the same time, it seems like beyond getting rid of older players, bringing in younger athletic ones, Isaiah Thomas has been out, made out to be problem child number one, two, three, four, and five. This guy played 15 games, won five this season. That's like a month and a half of basketball. And yeah, the team has struggled. He's coming back from a hip injury. But it seems like the one all-star player who of, of, our, of all-star ability, he's being made out to be the root of all evil when it comes to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I'm sorry, I refuse to see how trading the one all-star in all of these deals that were consummated yesterday makes the Cleveland, Cleveland Cavaliers markedly improved. And that's the key word. They might be a little bit improved, Josh, but are they markedly improved? I simply don't see it. Isaiah has been made out to be this scapegoat, and it's interesting because you're right. I mean, you have you have two Cavaliers teams this year, right? You had the one that was winning, that went on, I think it was like the second longest win streak in the NBA this year in around December, I guess it was. And then you have this Cavaliers team that's been a disaster the last month and a half or so. But even early in the season, before they went on that winning streak, this was a team that was still losing games against the likes yeah, of the Orlando they Magic. The they were not but perfect. This is where I'm going with this. So you have the two different Cavs teams, and the question is, obviously, what's the difference from one to the other? Now, the the obvious one that I think a lot of people are jumping to is Isaiah Thomas wasn't around when the team was winning. He was around when they were losing, so he's been made the scapegoat. But this was a connection that I made, or this is the difference that I pointed to uh, when we talked yesterday, is LeBron James and LeBron James teams always revolve around LeBron James. And rightfully so. He's been very good while the team has been struggling. Because he's LeBron James and is basically always going to be, at the very least, very good. He's also playing the most minutes in the NBA right now. But when they were winning, he was next level good. And that's, I mean, that that's always what I thought this was going to be in Cleveland, is it, when LeBron is playing at an elite level, they're going to be fine regardless of, of who they have around him. Um, now, he can't do that for a full 82 games anymore, and even if he can, I'm not sure that he wants to at 33 years old. It takes a toll on the body, but when he flips on that switch... He's taken worse teams to the finals in Cleveland back before he left the Cavs the first time. So I, 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 was, I was scared of the Cavs even 24 hours ago or 48 hours ago before they made these moves just because I know what LeBron can do. We've seen it. He's been to the final seven straight years. He deserves the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and I'm not sure that I'm that much more afraid of them now because, as we said, they've got to figure it out. They have two months to do it. Um, they have a lot of new players to work in. It's not going to be easy, but uh, they've got a guy who has done it before, and until proven otherwise, I'm going to assume he can do it again. Okay, a, a couple things on this. The one thing that they didn't bring through the door was an all-star level talent. Kyrie Irving didn't you come walking through to? the door. I think they needed to. I think this Le- is better. 
than than bringing in than bringing in like Deion, let's say their only move of the deadline was bringing DeAndre Jordan. Do you think that would have been better than remaking an entire supporting cast that was old, slow, and not playing? It well? would have given them something that they don't have on their team, which is a rim protector, which is another problem with this team the way that it's built. I'm really skeptical. I've watched a lot of George Hill over the years. I've watched Rodney Hood, who runs hot and cold. Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance are bit role players coming from the Los Angeles Lakers. All these guys, yes, they're younger, they're more athletic. But none of these guys will blow you away in terms of their ability. So what they're going to have to rely on is this team coming together, playing as a functional unit. Do you trust Tyron Lue? And that coaching staff's ability to get the most out of this group. Because on paper, this Cleveland Cavaliers team, outside of LeBron James, does nothing for me. Absolutely nothing for me. So I get that uh, being younger, bringing in players that can hit the outside shot better than the players that left, maybe have a little bit more something to them in terms of defensive acumen. I still don't look at... They're going to have to be, the sum of their parts needs to be greater than the, than the individual pieces. And I think it can be now. That's the thing. Is can. Like, I, I can. Big oh, question I, mark. Oh, I'm not going to say will. I'm going to say can. Uh, do, you, do you understand what I'm getting at here? Like, I absolutely I'm do. I'm not blown away. Like, I keep on hearing people say, well, the Cavs are like now, once again, the team to no, beat in the no. East. I'm well, like, they were what? Always, they, they were always the team to beat in the East. They, to start they were. the season. No, even, even a week ago. They were still the team. Because they had the player to beat in the East. So why wouldn't they have been the team to beat in the East. I think they were fundamentally broken wheels. And that's why I say I don't think there was one solution. I don't think there was even a Kemba Walker as good as he is or DeAndre Jordan as good as he is. I don't they were fundamentally broken. Their defense was broken. Uh there, there were chemistry issues with the the old guys versus the the, the newer guys. It, it it wasn't working. So I don't think there was one guy that you could plug in there and say, fix this. I'm not sure that they fixed it now, but no. at least I mean they gutted it. They gutted uh, those moves that they made in the summer that just haven't worked, the failed experiments. They've acknowledged they didn't work, cut bait on them before perhaps it was too late, and they brought in new guys, and they're going to give it another shot. And that's why I say, let's see what happens. I'm not saying that they're drastically better, but I think they're marginally better. Uh, But we've got to see how it plays out because the Raptors are the perfect example. Listen, we were talking earlier. It was the Celtics and it was the Cavs in the summer. No one was talking about the Raptors. The reason why the Raptors are now in the conversation is not because of anything incredible that they did in terms of a move or anything that they've had. It's chemistry. It's the chemistry they've built. They're playing well together. And that's not something that can be measured or can be quantified. So who's to say if Cleveland can can find that uh, at the snap of a finger? In two months, that's something that takes time to build, that the Raptors have taken years to build. The the young guys spent the summer together, working together. Uh, That could be the difference. Another true indicator to me that this team and LeBron James doesn't even think that they can win is the fact that Dwayne Wade goes back to Miami. He joined Cleveland for one sole purpose, to try to win yet again with LeBron James. The fact that LeBron was told... They all decided, gave the move, the green light, to send him back to a place where he's an absolute legend. Just shows me that, you know what, this year, probably ain't going to happen. If this team had any chance of winning an NBA championship, Dwayne Wade would have stayed in Cleveland. Well, my understanding is that 
once they acquired Clarkson and with some of their the Osmond playing more, they approached Wade, said, listen, we're, like, we're, we're not going to be playing you as much as you've been playing. What do you want to do with this? And he and, probably looked around and said, and he wanted to go somewhere. Those guys are going to play over me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know that LeBron James is superhuman, but he needs to be Superman to hold this ship together. And you don't think he can be Superman? Uh, at the age of 33, not alone, not against some of the teams in this conference. The Eastern Conference isn't as bad as it's been in recent years. I think it's a lot better. And I don't. I think the Cleveland Cavaliers need to be more concerned about the teams behind them then worry about what's going on in front of them. So the Milwaukee Bucks are nipping on their heels just a game back. The Wizards are winning some ball games without John Wall. We'll get into that a little bit later on. The Heat are a decent team. The Sixers are trending in the right direction. Look out for the Detroit Pistons. Like in terms of them and the Pistons, there's only a four-game difference in the standings. Yep. There is no lock that they don't slide from that third spot in the Eastern Conference and dip deeper. It's going to take time for this team to come together. I'd be worried about a little bit more of a drop. So I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Let's do it. you got to make a bet right now. Uh-huh. You've got to take one team to come out of the East in the playoffs, go to the finals. I, Who is it? I just made my bet with Landsberg in the morning producer Aaron Karolnik today. He's got the Cavs. I got the Raps. The Raps. I got the Toronto freaking Raptors. Going to the NBA Finals. No bias there, of course. No, it's, it's it's more to do with watching this team play over the course of the season. Watching the Boston Celtics play, understanding their limitations, and looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers of a shell as a shell of what they used to be. And there's a level of unknown with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I will give you that, because we're not exactly sure what this team will become, but I'm not impressed by the pieces that they brought in. No, but the, the East is wide open, and when in doubt, I'm going to take the guy that we've seen it from now seven years in a row. Listen, okay, if you gave me the option of taking Cleveland or the field, I take the field. But if you give me a choice of taking one team as the favorite, as the team that I think is most likely to get to the finals this year, it's still Cleveland. See, and it's all about LeBron James, isn't it, for you? It's all about reputation. No, it's not about reputation. It's about it's about body of work. It's about resume. Yeah, it's that's what, reputation. Well, I mean, resume, same thing. No, it, what it's, he's it, done. it's more than reputation because reputation to me is like name. Right? You look at the name LeBron James. It's okay. like looking at the name Dwayne Wade and think that and thinking that Dwayne Wade is what he used to be. That's not the case. That's reputation for me with LeBron. It's not reputation. It's it's who he still is, the player he still is. Does it concern you that... He was playing the best basketball of his career two two months ago. But does it concern you as the 33-year-old, he's playing 37 minutes a game? No. North of that? No, and he has more help now than he did before, so maybe he does play a little bit Who less than the rest of like the... like more help? Like, I, I think we're completely overrating Larry Nance Jr. This isn't Larry Nance we're talking about. George Hill isn't George Gervin here. Like, I'm just looking at these you players. Think, I'm like, you don't think they're better today than they were two days ago? Maybe. I don't know. Like, these are role players they brought in, Josh. These aren't world beaters. George Hill is a point guard that would play well sometimes for one of the worst teams in the league in the Sacramento Kings. I just look at these players. Rodney Hood coming off the bench would go for 30 in a ball game, then be invisible the next game. I just, I'm not buying it until they prove me otherwise. The Cleveland Cavaliers over this season have put the fun in dysfunctional, and they have not been a good team whatsoever. Let's just put They've it in- leaned on the best player in basketball. So they're going to need other players to step up. I don't know who that's going to be, but I look at their roster and I scratch my head. 
Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Kevin Love when he comes back? It's going to have to be. A much maligned Kevin Love. In April. Coming off a wrist injury? I'm not putting my eggs in the Cavaliers' basket. Not this time. And can, can we get into what could be the biggest roll of the dice that Cavaliers general manager Col- uh, Cody Altman did on Cle- trade deadline clear- day? Clearing a potential path for LeBron to go to L.A.? What's he doing? Is it, that The deal with the Los Angeles Lakers made it so the Lakers can bring in two max contracts this summer. Like, LeBron James, it's been widely reported... And no one will confirm these things, but where there's smoke, there's fire. His wife would prefer to be in Los Angeles. Who wouldn't prefer to be in Los Angeles? The Cavalier, Altman, what he did, Josh, he opened the door and says, LeBron, just on the other side, right there, you don't even need to touch anything, is Los Angeles. Feel free to, feel free to walk through if you want. That's up to you. The door is being swung wide open for not just him, but Paul George to go to the Lakers. We'll see if it happens. But he made that possibility happen. The Los Angeles Lakers uh, won the trade deadline because Altman made that move out of desperation. LeBron James won the trade deadline because now he's got options. But listen, for for (laughs) narrative purposes, this is fantastic because absolutely the irony will be uh, crazy if and when LeBron goes to L.A. and it will be this move that technically made it possible, but here's why I did make it possible. No, it didn't. didn't. And this is why Jordan Clarkson is a good player. 12 million, $11 million, $12 million for Jordan Clarkson is not outrageous. They would have gotten someone to take that deal. What's seemingly impossible right now is getting someone to take the Luol Dang deal. If Cleveland took that, then yes, absolutely. They cleared a path. If it comes down to LeBron wants to go to LA in the summer, the Lakers need to shed some salary. Someone would have taken Jordan Clarkson. It's not like Cleveland did something that no one else would do. So what Cleveland said, it seems, is if this is going to happen, it's going to happen anyways. Let's just do our thing and make sure that we surround LeBron with a team that's best suited to compete this year and hope, 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 hope that he stays. Whether it works or not, who knows? But it would have happened yeah. anyways. This isn't Michael Jordan Clarkson we're talking about here. It's just, he's what, the fourth best guard on that you Lakers team? You don't think somebody would have taken the contract? Uh, maybe. It's a very similar contract. What? Shorter term than Norman Powell. I would rather have Norman Powell than Jordan Clarkson on my team. I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. I'm just not a big Jordan Clarkson the Norman, guy. The Norman Powell we've seen this year? The, yeah. the post-GoDaddy sure. Norman Powell? Because the, I would take pre-GoDaddy Norman Powell. What's, it, what's worse, being GoDaddied or kardashian Oh, I'll wow. go Kardashian. Well, how many... Okay, because, so. because with GoDaddy, the second year, you're going to bounce back strong. <laughs> we know that. Yeah. It's just a one-year blip. That's well, we it. Look at the sample sizes here. So we have a couple of examples of what GoDaddy can do for you with, with JV and Norm. Uh, how many people have been Kardashian cursed already? <sighs> too many to more, count. More than two. So then right. the Kardashian curse is worse. And Danica Patrick is now dating Aaron Rodgers. That's a win. That's so, a product of GoDaddy. Yeah. So, well, I would just just in case this is legit, I would advise all current and future Raptors players to maybe stay away from GoDaddy next year. I think we did year. a show. Don't about, do it. Don't take the app. I think we warned. At least I warned Tristan Thompson. It was during the summer. I was like Tristan when the when the initial engagement rumors came up. 
I said, Tristan, we all love you. You're a local guy. Don't do it. You said this to him? I said it on air. I was hoping he was tuning in. Oh, no. Clearly wasn't, or he doesn't value my advice. Uncle Wheeler just completely ignored me. Uh, other than that, when it came to the trade deadline, uh, we'll get to the Raptors deal as well. This Bruno is a, Mania. This is a couple weeks ago. But what the Detroit Pistons have done to make their team competitive in the Eastern Conference, it's been impressive, Josh. I liked the deal at the time for both the Clippers and the Pistons. I understood what both were doing. But all of a sudden, the Pistons have a pretty nice little team with a very good coach. They have a pretty nice little team. Stressing the word little because they've got a few guys there that they have invested a lot in. Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, and Reggie Jackson. Two of those guys are injury-prone. And those three guys are not going to take you where they theoretically need to and want to go. So, I mean, yeah, they're, they're certainly better, and now they're good enough to do what clearly they were desperate to do and squeeze into the playoffs. But it was a short-sighted move. It's interesting because you got the two teams, uh, the Pistons and the Clippers, who were in basically the exact same position at the time of the trade. They were both sort of ninth, knocking on the door of the playoffs. You had one team in Detroit that was saying, okay, we see the value in squeezing into the playoffs, maybe making some more money, getting fans in the them. door. I wouldn't want to play them come playoff time. And then you had the other team in the Clippers that say, why bother? If that's as good as we're going to be, let's reset yep. and plan for the And I'm not saying that either scenario is right or wrong. And I mean, the Clippers have done that. They've been in the playoffs for the last number of years, whereas the Pistons... They need it. They need it. They need it to get people in, in that... In that new arena, they need it to sell merchandise. They need it to potentially save jobs. They, so they, I, they also now have two all-stars on their team. And, and some decent, like, Reggie Jackson's a decent player. If Reggie Bullock stepped up. Stanley John, Like, they're going to be a big physical team that will beat you up come playoff time. In my mind, they top out as a 6th or 7th seed that maybe is a... Uh, minor annoyance slash deterrent come playoff time. Better, not... th- better than what they were. A team yeah. that was kind of in the mushy middle, not bad enough to bottom out, and not good enough to make it to the dance. How much are you willing to pay? How much are you willing to spend for a marginal improvement if you're that type of team? If you're the Cavaliers... Well, what's Blake Griffin you... making a year? 32 mil? A lot. <laughs> About that. A lot. And so... I'm not even Blake's biggest fan, but I like that deal from their perspective. Right? Sure. And and we'll see what... I... Hey, listen. The Raptors putting together DeRozan and Lowry... I mean, we all know the story. Lowry almost dealt to the New York Knicks. You keep those maligned all-stars together, what the program around them has built up to the point where those two are the crown jewels of, in my opinion, the best team in the Eastern Conference. So we'll see what the Pistons can do now that they have two legit all-star players. So I'm not going to be pessimistic on that move. It's just unfortunate the Clippers couldn't finish the job now by not trading Lou Williams and not trading DeAndre Jordan. And, of course, DeAndre Jordan was linked to the Toronto Raptors, among other teams, on deadline day. I never really kind of bought Mark Stein of the New York Times report. Josh, did you? Because it wouldn't make... Like, let's put it this way. If you were to ask me, who would I want on the Raptors for this Raptors team right now? Jonas Valanciunas or DeAndre Jordan? I would take Valanciunas the way that he's playing. I spoke to some folks around the team today around the Raptors, that told me there was absolutely nothing to that, that it it didn't come from them. And I'm sure, listen, I'm sure at some point uh, throughout 
this early portion of the season when DeAndre Jordan had clearly been on the block, and even perhaps yesterday they put out a feeler or two because that's what teams do, especially when an all-star caliber player becomes available. But that that was never something that they were seriously considering for a few reasons. I mean, first of all, and this is the obvious, is he, he didn't address their primary needs. They They need shooting. He can't shoot. Yeah, uh, they also need can't re- hit free throws. They also need rebounding, and he would help there. But how much does he help in the rebounding department when you have to give up your best rebounder and really your only elite rebounder in order to get him? So JV would go out the other way. They don't really have picks to deal, so they also would have had to give up a, a, one of the, one or two of their kids. And listen, I, that wasn't going to happen. The Raptors were very careful. I'm told uh, about not disrupting the chemistry that they've built. This young second unit that not only is playing so well for them right now and is their biggest advantage, their depth right now, but also a big reason why things are really looking up for the Raptors down the line in the future. They weren't going to mortgage that for a short-term game, especially a short-term gain, I should say, especially in the case of a DeAndre Jordan, a guy who could bolt in right. a few months. Uh, anything else for any other team on the trade deadline, or should we just dive right into the wraps? Let's go Bruno, baby. Uh, this is Jurassic Pod Episode 1. Wheeler and Lewenberg with you. You can get at us in future episodes. It'll be Ask JLU at JLU1050, and at WheelerTSN is where you find us. Okay, so the Raptors do make uh, one move. Welcome to Toronto, Malachi Richardson. A player that... Uh, like, no, no, no. Welcome to Mississauga, Miss- Malachi Toronto, Richardson. Mississauga, whatever. <laughs> a player that I liked on Syracuse's run to the Final Four a couple years back. Yeah. Hasn't been healthy in Sacramento. Uh, so a new lease on life. And I trust an organization that has a good eye for talent. But I'm bearing the lead here because Bruno Caboclo's time within the Raptors organization has come to an end. Still just 22 years old. But it was time to flip that page and move on to a diff- different chapter. He was two years away from being two years away, and they didn't... How many times is that joke being made, by the way? No, many. Are we done with making that joke? Many. and that Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> he was two years away okay. from being two years away, and they didn't even stick it out the full four years. But, I mean, you're right. It, it, it was just time. It, wasn't, it, it was time for both parties to move on because nothing was going to happen for him here. It was a tough situation that he was put in to begin with, and I sort of feel for him in the sense that he comes here from Brazil having very little basketball (laughs) experience under his belt. He couldn't speak the language. He was a kid. Uh, He was very much a deer in the headlights. And from that standpoint, it's kind of been cool over the last few years in covering him and and speaking with him, being around him, even just in terms of how comfortable he is. He speaks the language now. Um, He's grown up. Very well. He's grown up as a young man, so from that standpoint, it's been cool, but the experiment was always fascinating because they took a big swing. The The risk was low at 20th overall, and I still don't fault them for taking that uh, low-risk, high-reward gamble in that situation, but this was unprecedented, Wheels. Nobody knew who this guy was. I mean, we were all scrambling, looking on the internet, googling his name, and there was nothing uh, on the web. I, I mean, the the janitor at the gym you work out with probably has right. more information on the internet than Bruno well, did at I, I this time. I spoke to one scout. It was the night that he was drafted, and someone told me that Masai Ujiri really liked this kid, but he's surprised that he went for him when he did. And I think that like kind of embodied... Like, still, I, I'm with you. Still on paper, it was a decent pick. 
at that time. I'll say this, having covered and seen Bruno grow firsthand with the Raptors 905 over the last three years, he's a much better player now than he was. Yeah, and he made strides. And let's put it this way. Still at 22 years of age, six foot nine, a seven foot what two three wingspan, seven it's, seven. It's it's just ridiculous the length of this guy has. He could make reliably make an outside jump shot. He can just play a little bit of defense based upon the fact that he has that length, whether it's blocking shots, you know, clogging up the lane. He can play a little bit, and whether it's Sacramento or someone else, someone will take a chance on him. And there are individuals that still think that he has what it takes to be a rotation NBA player. I'm not so sure about that because I question what's going on between the ears yep. and whether he has the stomach, the alpha mentality that you need to play at that level. But intangibles-wise, he's got it, Josh. It just I don't know if it will ever come together. And then the Raptors, through the G League team, saw other players develop, just completely blow past them. That I think that they learned what the Raptors 905 can mean for them beyond Bruno Caboclo. Well, if nothing else, Bruno's legacy in Toronto and with the Raptors is the 905. Yes. Because that was the biggest reason why Masai Jerry went out and they bought that G League team at that time, the D League team. Uh, it probably would have happened eventually. Well, but now they, all teams are getting them, so... It would have happened eventually, but they really expedited that process because, and this is a, one of the reasons why they believe the Bruno experiment didn't work, they didn't have their own D-League team in Bruno's rookie year. So they basically had to sit him down on the bench, again, blank slate at the time, sit him down at the bench, work with him in practice, but he wasn't playing. They sent him down to Fort Wayne a couple of times that year, but that was the, the D-League team Did that he they ever shared. Make- to Bakersfield was he there as well? I don't know. No, no, it was it was Fort Wayne was the team, the Mad Ants that that year. But back in the day, they sent players to Bakersfield oh, as even. well. So, um, so he he wasn't playing that first year. Uh, Masai really. Uh, I mean, people wondered whether or not they could get it done in time, but they really rushed the process of getting that nine oh five team together, so that Bruno would have somewhere to play in his second year. Now, the nine oh five didn't do what the organization had hoped in in terms of Bruno, in terms of getting him to a point where he could be an NBA rotation player in the time that he was with the Raptors. That said, again, indirect correlation is the 905 team came into existence, and look how much it's helped all these other guys. No kidding. The, the players that form the Raptors so impressive second unit. All of them have spent different amounts of time down with the Raptors 905. Yep. So uh, it's a success story. The one time where I really questioned whether Bruno would have it, it was part of a Raptors 905 broadcast, and it was early in the game, and Bruno had a tough go, and Coach Stack kind of lit into him a little bit. And Stack, by the way, top coach. Like I, I have nothing but good things to say about Stack, but Bruno needed some tough love. And the camera cut to him, and he was in tears. Like, not bawling his eyes out, but he was emotional about what happened. And that's difficult. That's difficult for any young player when you know they're frustrated, you know it's not coming together. And at that point, I just said, man, does he have the stomach for this? And I and, and, and I felt bad for him at that time. Really, I, I felt bad for him at that time. Since that time, he's been nothing but gracious with me. I think his game is vastly improved. 
Uh, this year has been his best year yet. And I think it, it was a good decision for him to go down with the Raptors 905 and spend the entire season with them. He won a G League championship last year. He's done well this year. And I hope that he finds his legs, finds some traction in another spot. And while Sacramento is a tire fire and, and they're a, a running joke, a punchline that we like to make fun of, if nothing else, they're a losing team right now. They're a chance for him to go there, maybe get some minutes at an NBA level, because that wasn't going to happen here. No. The Raptors gave him an opportunity, I think, in training camp and preseason to play a little bit, to show, to see if, if they had something in him. I think that was his last big chance to really break through, and, and he didn't take advantage of it. Now maybe he gets a look with the Kings, um, and I, I think that's going to be important for him, but... I mean, hey, I still, like I said, I think it was a worth, worthwhile gamble. Um, the Raptors had a ton of picks at that time coming up. And in hindsight now, they drafted really well with all of those picks. And they found Fred Van Vliet, who wasn't even drafted. So I don't. This team has found gems across the board. Trading for Norman Powell, a second round pick. Siakam at the end of the first round. And Anobi when they got him. Portal as a late, you know, or a. Uh, an early first round pick, but where they he looks full value is go down the list of Delon Wright. Yep, bring, like the Raptors scouting and talent evaluation has been top notch. So it happens across the board. It happens. You're not going to yeah, hit on all. Of of it. It's like the baseball prospects. You have all these prospects, even the high the high valued ones. You're not they're not all going to become great major league players. Maybe he will hit someday, Josh. It just won't be here. Perhaps. <laughs> to, to paraphrase, to paraphrase Masai Ujiri today, he said, "Like, listen, they got it right from a talent perspective. They still believe that yeah. in terms of what he's capable of." But uh, Masai actually called it a failure on the organization's part. Again, firstly because they weren't set up well to to conduct this experiment in year one. That's nice of him, though, Josh. Like, well, and they, there's they, individual accountability. Like, you right. can't will a player to have it. What it takes to be a professional athlete at the highest level. And one thing that Masai said is maybe because they don't have that D-League team the first year, maybe it would have been smarter to leave him overseas and let him play a year there. Lucas Nagara, not to say that he's a finished product by any means, but he always, Bebe always speaks highly of the time that he spent playing in a a very competitive league in Spain and Mm. how much it helped him sort of grow and, and mature as a player. And again, I'm not sure that this is a great example because he's in a similar situation to, to uh, Bruno with something to His prove. His opportunity a- will come next year. And I don't think that Bebe is a bad player. Yeah. I think that he had problems with focus early in his career. I think he's a much more complete player now. And I think that he's a much mature, much more mature individual. Like, he will come out to Raptors 905 games when no other player will come out, and he will take time to take pictures, speak to every single fan in the building. I've seen him in the parking lot trying to leave and people are coming up to him, and he'll still take time. So... He's got a great heart. Yes, there, there's not, exactly. There isn't a player on the Raptors, maybe that's been on the Raptors in the time that I've been covering them, that I enjoy speaking to more than Lucas Nagari. He's just an interesting right. dude. Uh, but uh, let's touch on the real implications here yeah, of this let's Bruno go there. trade. We're, we're running a little bit late, but let's go there. Bot- potential buyouts. Yes, yeah, so in making this trade, they saved just under a million dollars, which... 
theoretically uh, allows them to go out, sign someone, a veteran player on the buyout market as guys start becoming available over the next few weeks without dipping into the tax. And that was a priority for them, especially in bringing, I mean, this isn't a guy, whoever they bring in, if they bring in someone, they're not going to move the needle to the degree in which, okay, well now, now this team is the favorite or well, I guess you already believe that I they're the I think they are already. Um, I think you're bringing in someone based upon an insurance, insurance policy. Yes. Just in case there's an injury. So you didn't want to go into the tax to do that, to bring in a 12th man. No. Now you can do it without serious financial implications. So the question is, <coughs> who's going to be out there? And do any of them fit a need for the Raptors? Now we'll talk about the, the one guy whose name is coming up more and more and more, and that's Vince Carter. Uh, but the two names that stand out to me, if they're out there, that I think would really be a nice fit for the Raptors, one is Marco Bellinelli. And two is Channing Frye, who, of course, was in that trade uh, from Cleveland to is the Lakers. Is Frye hurt? Has he been hurt? No. Is he healthy? He's just older. Right. But I think he's healthy. And listen, so I, I think from a need standpoint, positional standpoint, both of those guys make sense. I think Channing Frye would be a really good fit. Uh, Ibaka, in his sort of ongoing knee health situation, it, it would be good to have a guy behind him. And even Pascal Siakam, if defenses are really exploiting um, his inconsistent three-point shooting come playoff time to have a guy like Fry, I think would be a nice little benefit coming off the bench. But, I mean... Fry, 34 years old. Uh, the Lakers say for now they're keeping him on the roster, but yep. if he is a player that comes available... I'm with you. I'm surprised that Bellinelli wasn't traded at the deadline. I'm sure they I tried. I don't get these teams, though. Like, wouldn't you take a second-round pick? Yeah, rather than nothing. rather than buy... Like, He's a free agent at the end of the year. The Hawks decided they weren't going to play him. And then they don't trade him? And the Grizzlies him? did the same, same thing with, with Tyreek Evans. Evans. Bizarre. So weird. Let's put it this way. Uh, I like both of those names better than Vince Carter. I don't like Vince Carter either. I don't. I don't think it makes any sense no. from any from anything other than a narrative standpoint. Listen, he comes here and that's a huge story. And the Raptors think, don't need that. No, they don't need that right now. No, they don't. They don't. I think it's a distraction. Um, and and here's another interesting sort of time why I say Channing Fry or somebody like that would be a good idea. You bring in Channing Fry, and he's not a rotation player right away. He's not jumping uh, Siakam or Pirtle or any of those guys, but based on his resume and who he is and, and where he is in his career, I think he's perfectly fine with going somewhere where he's a 12th man and he'll play he sometimes. He replaces Nagara as yeah, a 12th man. He'll play sometimes. He won't play most of the time. Whatever. Is Vince Carter okay with that? And more than anything else, is Dwayne Casey and is the team okay with that? You know, there's, I would almost, I, I feel like there'd almost be that pressure to play Vince Carter if he was here. Would people be okay with, would they be okay with him just riding the bench? And he's 41 years old. I know it's a romantic story, this guy returning. I'm not buying that romantic story. And I feel like the people that subscribe that this would be great, Vince Carter coming back, are people that are either too young to remember him leaving back in 2003. Yep. Or, it's, or it's just people that weren't around these parts. That weren't living in Toronto. This entire front office, like, no one was here in 2003. Maybe Wayne Embry, who serves as more of an ambassadorial role within the organization. But the hurt that the the organization and Toronto basketball fans suffered at the hands of this guy is something that I cannot forget. 
I, I, I just simply can't. And jumping on board with the Raptors now that they're a front runner would be so Vince Carter. And I could just, I would be sick to my stomach seeing him come onto the court in a game to a standing ovation wearing a Raptors jersey on a winning team, and it would justify everything that he did. And that wouldn't be right. That's the last person I want to see brought in here. And I know there's been rumblings, and I know the front office is going to do diligence, and they're going to look at every angle and do what's best for the organization. But I think if Vince Carter is brought in, it does a disservice to all those hardcore Raptors fans that have stood by this team thick through thick and thin. See, I'm trying to separate that here. Like, I understand. I the, can't. I, I'm trying to separate it in terms of, like, okay, there's the emotional aspect of it. Then there's the basketball side of it. Because let's look at the basketball side of it. Because I do think, if you look at it and say, this guy makes us better, then you forget about the past. And you bring him in and you deal with that. Does he make them better? No, I don't think he does. Because I don't think he plays. Is he better than C.J. Miles? No. Is he better than Fred Van Vliet? No. Is he better than Norman Powell? No. no. Start there. So then there you go. You do the math. And Norman Powell right now, he's a guy they like. He's a guy they'd love to be able to play, but they just don't have the minutes for him. Norm's the 11th man. So if you do the math, Vince would be the 12th man. He wouldn't play, but he'd be the story every day. People would talk, want to be talking to him, talking about him. He would be the story. Now, whether or not you believe that that's a legitimate distraction is another is another issue, but... It's funny, this is, this is an interesting comparison, and you've got to be patient with me here, I think it makes sense in my head, but when Masai Ujiri first got here, before they got Corey Joseph, Masai would be asked all the time, when is the team going to sign a Canadian? When is the team going to get a Canadian? And Masai always said, we'll do it when it makes sense. We're not going to bring in a guy just because he's Canadian. Well, a big cat. Jamal McGlure was here before. We, we're not going to bring in a guy just because, like like a big cat. We're going to bring in a guy because he's good and he, and he deserves to play. And the fear, and this is what I've been told behind the scenes, the fear was always that if they brought in a Canadian who wasn't good enough, Dwayne Casey would be pestered every day with, why aren't you playing the token Canadian on the end? Why isn't this guy playing? Why isn't this guy playing? Why isn't this guy? That would be the same thing with Vince Carter. At this point, he doesn't, he, he's not worth playing, he would just be the guy with this rich history backstory in Toronto that everyone would be asking, well, when is Vince Carter going to play? When is Vince Carter going to play? And maybe that pressure does seep in to the locker room where they feel the need to, all right, right do you get this guy that's been a legend in Toronto onto the court? And at that point, I think he does you a disservice because I think he hurts you in that in that respect. I'm with you. Let, we're, we're in agreement there. Uh, let's move on to the week that was to the Raptors and quickly reflect on where the team's at. A <laughs> good one. Four-game homestand, four convincing W's. It all came on the heels of the 122-119 loss in Washington, a disappointing loss. We won't reflect on that. That seems like distant history now. But they go out, beat the Blazers 130-105 the very next night with Portland waiting here in Toronto for them to get here. Then their last three games, the (laughs) starters didn't play one second of the fourth quarter. A 101-86 victory over the Grizzlies, a statement 111-91 victory over the Celtics, and then an expected 113-88 victory over the New York Knicks in a game where DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry struggled, but the bench again was the story. You can make the case in each and every one of these games that the bench was the story in every single one. The second unit, Josh, the energy, 
the togetherness, the rhythm between that unit, it's just been exceptional to watch. Well, that's why I actually will go back to the Washington game and say that was one of the bench's worst games of the season. To the and po- why? I know where you're going. Well, no Fred Van Vliet. <laughs> no Fred Van Vliet and C.J. Miles didn't play in that nope. game as well. Um, but... Regardless of the context of the situation, Dwayne Casey was not happy. He called them out after that game, and then he called them out before the next game against Portland and said, these guys aren't going to play if they're not doing their job. Now, I'm not sure how much he meant that because, of course, the bench has been so good all year, but these are young players. He wanted to get their attention, and at wheels, clearly, he got their attention. They've outscored the opposing team's bench by a combined 95 points in the four games since. They've scored over 50 points in each of those five games. And in this last win over New York, five of their seven double-figure scores came off the bench. They're the story right now. They're the best bench in the NBA, and now you have other teams noticing it. Brad Stevens gave them uh, some high praise before the Boston game, saying that they're maybe the most fun group to watch in the NBA. Well, it's got to a point where I think if you ask Raptors fans right now, who do they like watching play more, the first unit or the second yeah. unit? It'll be the second unit. And listen, let, let's just name them. Fred Van Vliet, DeLon Wright, C.J. Miles. Uh, Pascal Siakam and Jakob Pertl. They have balance. They have athleticism. They they turn defense into offense. They have they they basically tick all the boxes. And I love what Dwayne Casey does with that unit as well, Josh. Because the last guy to come on in that unit is CJ Miles, but then he leaves CJ on to play with the starters over OG and Anobi when those guys check back into the game. There's consistency as well. And man, oh man. Now we've got to the point where Dwayne Casey, after Thursday night's win against New York, is saying, well, we need to get our first unit back into rhythm. But you know why I like <laughs> it? And yeah, I, this, they need to be better, clearly. But why I like this is, I mean, it just it keeps teams on their heels, I feel. They're thrown off when the second unit comes in because the first unit plays at such a completely different tempo. I, I tweeted this out yesterday. It's almost like in baseball where you've got like a knuckleball pitcher starting the game and then you bring in... Uh, a, a fastball throwing pitcher sure, in a relief. pitcher that throws junk than a flamethrower. Yeah, yeah got it, it. it. I mean, it's and and you've got the second unit coming in throwing heat. Like yeah, teams are just. I, I mean, I, no one knows how to deal with it, right? It's it's you got two team two teams essentially in one that play at completely different pace, a completely different tempo. The first unit, when they're even going well, is still more of a methodical. Uh, I don't want to use the word slow because it's not a matter of being slow. It's just, I mean, DeMar DeRozan with his footwork and his throwback game, even with the threes now, he sort of lulls you into a false sense of security and then the second unit comes in and just runs you off the court. Do you know know what's happening a little bit with the first unit? By the way, on our Raptors game night broadcasts on TSN 1050 and the TSN radio network, you, Sweets, Watson, and I, we just come up with our bench mob MVP of the game. Because you can like pass it around on a nightly basis. To no, it's pl- always. Fred. I know that you want to give it to Fred. your boy Fred VanVleet, but man, the way that Siak—I love the way that Siakam plays. But I digress. Back to the first unit. I'm not worried. I'm not concerned about them. But right now, I think the word that 
Coach Casey used in terms of rhythm is a good one because it's almost as though they're trying to replicate how the second unit sharing the rock, like 18 of the 31 assists against the Knicks came from the bench, and it seems like they're making that extra pass instead of shooting in rhythm, right? They're trying to share the ball a little bit too much, and when you do so, I mean, sometimes that mid-range jump shot, if DeMar has it or Serge has it or JV has it, you just got to take it, Josh. Some breaking news from the Woj wheels. Marco Bellinelli is finalizing a buyout agreement with the Atlanta Hawks. Okay. So there you go. There's there a player go. that's going to be out there that the Raps could be interested in. So by the time you listen to this, maybe, perhaps, he could be a player. It, it won't be Bring so, it back it, to Toronto. It won't be so breaking anymore when you listen to this, but it was right. breaking for us now. There you go. There you go. But I'm not worried about the the first unit, but I, listen, Jonas Valanciunas is playing the best basketball of his NBA life right now. Yes. I cannot say enough about the way that he's playing. He's at least hit one three-point shot in seven of the last nine games. He's been a double-double machine other than twisting his ankle against the Celtics. He's been putting up massive numbers on a nightly basis. And Valanciunas playing the way that he has. Defensively, offensively, being able to step step back and hit that three-point shot. Making some nice passes we've never seen from him before. It changes the entire complexion of that first unit. Yep. Now all that the first unit is missing is OG Ananobi getting back into a rhythm in terms of his offensive play. Yeah, hitting those threes from the corner. That That's the one missing link for me. Lowry, he's going to Lowry. DeRozan, he's going to DeRozan. And the biggest change, when I hear people say, well, come playoff time, Lowry and DeRozan, just, they struck. This year, they're playing far less minutes. Kyle Lowry's playing over five minutes less per ball game this year. He's not even in the top 50 players in the NBA in minutes per game. Crazy. And, and he DeRozan's was what, about 28. And Kyle was, what, second or third in, in minutes per game last year before he went down with the injury? Yeah, I'll, I'll bring it up right now, but um, he's playing over five minutes left. He was second in the NBA after who? LeBron James. Yes. Playing 37.4. He is 32.3 as we speak right now. Four consecutive games where DeRozan and Lowry have each, have both played less than 30 minutes. This guy's going to be fresh. Yep. This is a nice little mid-season break. Now, the question is, what do you do in the playoffs? Because uh, theoretically, this is why you were preserving Lowry and DeRozan is so that you could ramp up their minutes in the playoffs. I asked Bobby Webster about that today, and, and that I was, liked his answer. I, I, I love that answer as well. Is He thinks that they can go about playing this same way. But it sounded like, I mean, they're going to be careful with this. Sure. It sounds like he's going to give them, they're going to give them the shot going into the playoffs, especially in the first round where you probably have a little bit more wiggle room than you do as you make it further into the playoffs, assuming the Raptors make it further into the playoffs. You give them the, some leeway in the in the uh, first round. Um, you give them some runway there. And if it doesn't work, then you make adjustments and maybe you throw Lowry out with four of those bench guys. But I, I think... At least they believe the five right. bench guys, the five bench unit, has earned the right to prove that they can translate what they're doing right now into the playoffs. Well, in previous years, when Plan A, which was offense through Lowry and DeRozan, wasn't cooking, whether because the defensive play focused in on those players or they simply didn't have it or they were injured, there was no Plan B, no Plan C, yep. no Plan D. This Raptors team has all that. Now, whether young players that haven't experienced that at the NBA level will be able to produce, that is a legitimate question. 
but I have confidence that the way that this team plays and the way they've come together, they're going to be able to execute in this way. Maybe not for extended minutes like you're seeing right now, but a spurt here and there. And if it Ananobi's not having a good night, you roll with Miles a little bit more. Think about who was coming off the bench last year in the playoffs. Yeah. Patrick Patterson, who was afraid to take a jump shot. And not healthy. He had knee surgery right. a few months later. P.J. Tucker, who's for everything that he does defensively, was a little bit of a hole offensively. Yep. Corey Joseph struggled last year from the floor. He did. I just look at this bench unit as being much more complete and having many more options than you've had in previous years. Now... With great power comes great responsibility, as they say. <laughs> Easy there, Spider-Man. Dwayne Casey, he's got a lot of options to work with now, and I do think that puts more pressure on him to make, not necessarily, I, I don't want to say the right decision, because that a lot of the time is determined in hindsight, but to make quick decisions. So when things aren't going well in the playoffs, if OG Ananobi is struggling or whoever, uh, Casey's got to make quick adjustments. Good. And, and right? you know what? He's but, coaching an all-star game. He is one of the best coaches in the NBA. Step up. We'll, we'll see what this coaching... Like, the players have stepped up. The coaching staff has stepped up this year as well. And we'll see come playoff time. But based upon the way that this group has responded and the way that the team has continued to evolve, why not? Why can't this coaching staff evolve? And why can't they set the tone for teams in the NBA where you just don't rely upon one player or two players? It's about the team in every sense of the word. And I just love how this team can be a little bit of a trailblazer in this category. Yeah, I mean, they can run that group out there. And if it's not working, then that's when, again, you sort of, you're quick to adjust. So if it's not working, then you throw Kyle Lowry back into the game. But let's put it this way. And and this was a point that you just made, Wheels, is the Raptors have defeated the Cavs and the Celtics by 54 points. And DeMar DeRozan combined Combined. for 28 points in those two games. Those are games that they lose a year ago and the year before that and the year before that. The fact that they can win those games now, and you're going to need DeMar to go off for some big games in the playoffs. You're going to need him to do his thing. Lowry, too. They've got to be better, absolutely. But the fact that they can win games in which those two guys aren't the offensive focal point is the cause for encouragement here. Uh, we got to fly, but the Raptors three games this week before the All-Star break. Next All Thursday, we will come out with their next podcast, Josh. Yep. Um, and we'll look back on the week that was, look ahead to All-Star weekend as well. They're in Charlotte on Sunday, home to the Miami Heat on Tuesday night. little bit of a revenge match. One of the four losses on home court. By the way, the best home court team in the NBA, if you haven't been following along. Uh, Miami Heat are in town on Tuesday night. Then in Chicago, where they've traded any basically efficient live bond on their roster, at least for the present. Uh, they've got written them already. That game can you can listen to on TSN 1050 on Wednesday night. So I, I guess the one surprise is that Charlotte didn't kind of blow it up at all. I, I mean, Michael Jordan intervened. They're stuck so, in no man's land. But that place, games in Charlotte give me the you-know-what. They give me the, the cold sweats. And the Raps have been better there recently, but you're right. That's always going to be in the back of your mind, right? I know. And it's in the back of Dwayne Casey's mind, clearly, because every time they go there, he talks about them struggling for so long. And they've been fine the last few visits, but it's always, that's always going to be... It's like playing Doug McDermott, you know? Yeah. Even, even if he goes 10 games in a row without doing anything, they'll always remember about that time... The those few times when he yeah. he burned them in the Dragic uh, grudge match on Tuesday night. 
and we'll see what what DeMar DeRozan actually said to him post game after that loss. We'll see if James Johnson, Serge Ibaka round two. Yep. I'm not expecting much. No, but we'll see how many times. What's the over-under on amount of times that Dragic gets hit in the face, or at least pretends to get hit in the face? I hope it's 3.5. And then they're going to go to All-Star Weekend, and they'll be all buddy-buddy. Of course. Uh, Good stuff, Josh. First, you're you're comfortable? I feel good. You like this? Got a good good, flow going? Jurassic Jurassic Pod has it. Uh, warmed up on you yet? Buddy, I let love the know. name. Um, let us know your thoughts on the name. At Wheeler TSN, at JLU1050. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell Raptors fans across this community. We both acknowledge you've been under service for too long. And we're going to try to fill some of the gaps here with more coverage, both on the radio side as well as via the podcast. Subscribe on iTunes. Uh, However this is going to be distributed, just like, 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 spread around, spread around, spread around, and we'll be doing this on a weekly basis. Yeah, man. Josh Lundberg, great stuff, buddy. The founder of Jurassic Pod. The OG of Jurassic Pod. Unless you don't like the name, then it's Wheeler's fault. Okay, that's fine. I'll take it. On behalf of Josh Lundberg, producer Michael Skrizniak, I am Gareth Wheeler, and this has been episode one of Jurassic Pod. It's... (laughs) 